Welcome to Math Matters. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. Math Matters brings together innovators, practitioners, researchers, and math enthusiasts to explore the power of math and the stories that illuminate Math Matters across the globe. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I've, if, if those have been have been listening and watching, I've, I've sort of fallen head first into mathematics and the world of mathematics. And maybe it's the parent in me. Um, maybe it's my own history and anxiety with mathematics, where I want to learn more about the people that are helping to uh, forge a new path for those students and adults of all ages um, that are obviously wanting to have a, a different and more, I think, rich relationship with mathematics and what it can do in our lives. I want to welcome in Dr. Trina Wilkerson. She is a professor of mathematics education in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction at Baylor University. She received her doctorate in 94 from the University of Southern Mississippi in curriculum and instruction with a focus in mathematics. She is the president of the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics, NCTM, as many of you may know them by. She has won a number of awards. Her research interests include mathematics education, teacher education, algebra teacher efficacy, teaching and learning of mathematics, and professional development. Dr. Wilkerson, it is a great pleasure to be spending some time with you. Um, I think right out of the gate, I do have a a little, there's a feel of intimidation given your background <laughs> um, that you have a much better relationship, obviously, with mathematics. It's a, it's your passion. Um, talk with me about your personal journey before we sort of dive into the state of the union with regards to math, mathematics education, and where we kind of are in 2021 going into 2022. What was your experience as a young student, and how do you think that that forged the path for you to be where you are today? Well, thank you. And I, I appreciate that you formed it as a journey because that's one of the things that I talk about often is that teaching is a journey and actually teaching and learning mathematics is a journey. And my journey began many, many, many years ago. And I just enjoyed in, in pre-K through 12, just enjoyed doing mathematics, uh, going to math class and thinking about mathematics. Uh, I enjoyed um, the discovery behind it and trying to understand it and moving forward with it. And it turned out that when I got ready to graduate from high school, I had a decision to make about, you know, thinking about going to college. It, first off, it was a foregone conclusion that I would go to college. My family did not have a background in going to college. My mom and dad did not know what that meant. They just knew that I was going. So that was that. And so I knew I wanted to go and I was either going to pursue mathematics or accounting because I loved accounting as well. So I ended up pursuing mathematics and I was a mathematics major as an undergraduate and absolutely loved it. I uh, first, uh, my first two years of college were at a community college or at that time they were called junior colleges. And at that time, our, I had some of the most wonderful mathematics professors that pushed us to do as much mathematics and engage in mathematics in just really powerful ways in a short period of time in two years. So then I went on to finish at Mississippi College in mathematics, but I also knew I wanted to teach. I loved doing mathematics and I got a degree in mathematics, but I also knew I wanted to teach. So along the way, while I was an undergraduate, I also did the certification part for mathematics and did my student teaching, et cetera. And I uh, loved teaching mathematics. And I was so glad that I had found my passion and it has been uh, my passion since. And I taught high school for 18 years and about, oh, I don't know, about 14 or 15 years into it, I got interested in teacher education. And that's when I decided I wanted to go back to school and I wanted to think about that some more. I'd already done my master's, but I thought, well, I really would like to 
think about teacher education and what it means to prepare now for teaching mathematics because it had changed so much in the years that I had been a classroom teacher. And I tried to stay up with it, but I really needed to stop and study. So I um, took a year sabbatical and worked on that and then continued while I was full-time teaching after that. And I uh, taught and just really got into thinking about teaching mathematics. And so uh, as a result of that, after my doctorate, I, um, I had the opportunity to begin to get into teacher education and started teaching at Louisiana State University for a few years and then got the opportunity to move into another position here at Baylor University where I could pursue both my passion for teaching and teaching mathematics and teaching those who were going to teach mathematics and also doing research and professional development in mathematics. So that's where I am today. And it's a total of, if you calculate all of that, Perhaps I shouldn't say this, but it is, I'm in my 46th year. So you? I, I am a long time. Um, and, and, and for those that, that are listening, I can tell you that the sort of the, the childlike energy that you bring, even describing that, I think is great because it says that you are doing what you are passionate about. Uh, let's talk about, you know, I think it's interesting. And I will contend there are a number of subjects and disciplines in education that potentially need a rebrand, like a different way in which to communicate the value proposition and the relationship that that discipline has with a student and or groups of students and in the impact that that can have in their life trajectory. When we think about math, we think about science, we think about the STEM fields, right? Mm -hmm. I, I am a father of a very strong seven-year-old girl and I want her to have every opportunity possible. But even at my age at 45, I remember just the ways in which girls were not supported in mathematics you know, going through public school. And I use that as the backdrop to say, given your background, how, how has mathematics as an industry, as a discipline, changed or evolved over time to be more inclusive and equitable in the way in which it thinks about not just teaching students that are in a classroom, but also to support the next generation of educator that may be female or that it comes from different backgrounds. How are we on that? If we think about sort of a state of the union with regards to um, inclusivity. Well, and I think it's interesting that you use the word that you want your, your child to have the opportunity, right? And that's the key is we want our students, all students, each and every child uh, to have the opportunity to, to pursue um, hopefully mathematics, but definitely everyone needs to pursue mathematics in, in a variety of different careers. And the key is that, so doors will remain open for future opportunities. In the past, and I've heard many stories and there are many, many stories about people who have been discouraged from being in mathematics, particularly female, as you mentioned, uh, and particularly uh, people of color. Many have been marginalized in many ways, but I think that has been changing. Over the years, there's been a concerted effort to focus, for instance, in STEM, there's really been a focus to look at women in mathematics and STEM, uh, for example, and really looking at this aspect of equity and equity across all the identities that an individual might have. And I think we've made some strides, but we have a long way to go. We still got work to do. And one of the things that we talk a lot about at NCTM is it takes an entire community to move this forward. So it's Math teacher education is one piece of it. Mathematics teachers are a piece of it. Uh, parents and families are a piece of it. Community, policymakers, um, a variety of stakeholders, business industry, all are in this together. And that's one of the things that we have seen, particularly related to STEM, as you mentioned, is more and more industry community and variety of stakeholders are coming together in order to move the field forward so that all students have opportunity. 
Yeah, it makes me, when you were talking, I was thinking about the movie Hidden Figures, yes. uh, right? Women of color and, and the impact they had on the space program and just mm -hmm. how uplifting, I think, an eye-opening that was to mm -hmm. something that we had thought was branded a certain way and what we had pictured, people who had supported the space program, and yet there's this incredible narrative right underneath, right? That, mm -hmm. that was really the driving force. Let's talk about what you're hearing from teachers, right? What are you hearing from mathematics educators in, in the discourse around how we're teaching, how we're presenting information, how we're engaging. And the reason I say that is I think one thing, and it's very hard to say a silver lining with a pandemic, but one thing that I think maybe was revealing was the ways or the methods by which we would communicate learning to students by proxy through, you know, through Zoom, through these platforms, as opposed to this in-person relationship. And what it told us about how young people can digest information, how they engage with it, uh, what might be more stimulating than something else, right? And so I would imagine that math was a fantastic discipline to sort of dive into and say, what did we, what did we learn about ourselves as an industry, as a teaching profession, as a specialty, the way in which we think about engaging or bringing technology into the relationship by which we can then help to support student learning. And I think you're right that, of course, um, the pandemic, COVID, and all the situation and the social injustices that have happened, uh, particularly over the last couple of years, have really challenged everyone, including math teachers. And math teachers, um, what I find when I work with them and I speak with them in a variety of different venues, um, in thinking about this, they have been extremely thoughtful in thinking about how to support students in learning mathematics, in engaging them in discourse, in engaging them with ways of communicating their understanding, because they've been they've always thought about that. But this this uh, situation we've been in with the digital kind of significant things, um, it's really made them think about how do I know that my students are understanding, or how do I have them communicate their thinking, their problem solving, and they've really dug into that. I think, and this has been very empowering for students, for uh, math teachers, for families. Okay, it's also been challenging. You know, we won't lie about that. It's been challenging, but teachers have risen to this to think very carefully and reflect very deeply on what it means to understand mathematics and to find this out from their students and really support them in their learning. I think it's also revealed to many of us um, the inequities that have been in the past that ways that we've not been able to communicate and to address mathematical thinking. And I think this has given us a chance to really think about that. And I have to tell you that I think one of the other silver linings that have come that's come out of all of this is there is a stronger collaboration with parents, families, and communities. That's something else that I've heard teachers talk a lot about, that there's a lot more communication and they wanna carry that forward. And the other thing they wanna carry forward are like you mentioned, technology tools. Many of them um, had known about some of the technology tools, but this gave them the opportunity to really dig into them in different ways. And many of them, I've heard many of them talk about how they're carrying their, their, those lessons learned forward in their in-person classes. One area that I want to, because I've, I've got this great venue of being able to chat with you and just in a one-on-one -on -one setting to get your thoughts on this perception. And some of, I think is reality. And sometimes I think it's not fair as well, is that math can be transactional, but from a pejorative sense. And I brought that up to Dr. Rachel Lambert, um, UCSB the other day in a conversation. 
And it was just, a, I thought, a fascinating conversation about sort of the perception that it is very transactional. It is, I am presenting a problem or a challenge in front of a student, and I just want to know what the result is. And if it's not the case, that's at least the message that is sent to the student, because that's where we're putting the value, which is on that final number mm -hmm. being assessed, and then how that then gets sort of transcribed or distributed to the parent. And it's that middle area, it's the gray area that feels like it's the meat that we miss um, but we, we're so concerned about the wrapper. And so how do we address that in a world where we can talk about NASA, we can go to the moon, we can do all these sorts of things, but yet for whatever reason, it feels like it's been a conundrum to look at mathematics in a way that failure is okay, right? It's about the process and understanding how we get there as opposed to what my nine-year-old thinks, which is it's all about the end result, right? <laughs> And I think, my goodness, he's only nine, and I have to sort of deconstruct or decouple that thinking so that he doesn't set himself up for what I would say might be failure in his own understanding of his capabilities. Well, and that's an important thing to think about. And this idea of um, thinking about that the only thing that matters is the final answer. Now, please understand that if we're going to the moon or whatever, you know, something like that, we, <laughs> we want need the an final answer. <laughs> you know, we need an answer eventually. But what we want are people who can creatively problem solve and can explore mathematics is one we're talking about, but be able to explore problems and solutions and what works and what doesn't work, go down paths to say, okay, I've run into a problem, but what have I learned from this? And I think this is another thing that, that I hear teachers talking about so much is helping students to know that making mistakes is acceptable. And in fact, it should happen. I've also heard some say that if you're not making mistakes, then we're not challenging enough. We're not moving enough in this direction because we want to challenge you to think, think creatively, to be able to, to understand your thinking, be able to explore different possibilities, to understand why your solution is not correct or might not be viable. It might not be correct, might not be the right word, but sometimes the solution is not viable for a variety of reasons in a real world context. And so I think that what we're finding is that more, hopefully we're changing that narrative. So students know that it is the, like you said, it's the pathway to getting to that understanding that is so critical. And when, when and I've actually seen this, I've seen students get quote a right answer. Like they do a problem, they're given a problem, they get the right answer. But when I unpacked it with them, they did not understand and they just happened to get the right answer at that particular moment because of the kind of numbers that were used, exact, you know, something like that. How did you that know they, that was my history in mathematics, Dr. Wilkerson? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Fingers and, crossed. You exactly. Know? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's got to be right. I mean, we even have um, stories where students have figured out ways to get the right answer, but in completely inappropriate ways that would not always work. So what we're finding, and teachers are really pushing this, is we need students to understand very deeply mathematics and be able to explore solutions and make mistakes and learn from those and push themselves forward. That's where your persistence and perseverance, you mentioned hidden figures, they were persistent and they persevered, right? And you have to have the opportunity to do that. And so teachers, I think, are focusing on that as well and that mistakes um, are learning experiences. Now, given you, you said this, so I didn't, but you said given your, your 45 plus years uh, <laughs> in the space, uh, what... I think it's important, you know, we look at something three-dimensionally, um, and maybe I, I had the, pl uh, the privilege of interviewing one of the co-founders of Pixar the other day, Dr. Alvy Ray Smith, incredible, um, passionate man about math and design, and um, is to understand 
all sides of the coin, right? And of the pixel, if we use yes. that as a, as a backdrop. What, what are our, if we do that, what would someone say, what would be fair to say might be a blind spot in mathematics education that we, we need to just be cognizant of, we need to be thinking and we need to be exploring, even if it is a dark space that we're not really sure sort of where we're going, but we also see what's coming from whether that's college and career readiness and development and, you know, the, the, the jobs that young people are going to have something that says, yes, we're doing okay right now. But if we're really going to push the envelope and be who we say that we are, we also need to be aware of our potential blind spots. If you had to say there's a blind spot or two, what are areas that in given your position of leadership that you want people to be aware of for those that are educating our youngest uh, in mathematics? I think there are probably two things that I think about. One of them is we really need to think in terms of broadening the purposes of learning mathematics. That is, uh, while I love doing mathematics, then you can give me a set of, uh, you know, quadratic formula equations to do, and I'm, I'm all about it. I love it. But it's, but mathematics is so much more than that, and we need to broaden the purposes. It needs to be such that it's used for students to understand and critique their world, to really develop a deep understanding and make lots of connections. And I have to tell you, to really experience the wonder, joy, and beauty of mathematics. This morning, I was talking to some pre-service teachers, and they got to talking about the joy of mathematics and that students needed to feel that joy, although that's not something you can measure, you know, with an instrument, so to speak. But they need that. Otherwise, they're going to shut down from doing mathematics and they're not going to pursue it. So one of them is that. And with that understanding and critiquing the world brings in mathematics, statistical reasoning, data literacy, data science. And all of those things are, should be brought together for us for the future for our students. The second one, I think, is an area that we need to do more work on and we're continuing to push forward and is possibly more difficult is really creating these equitable structures in mathematics. We have structures in place that have worked for some students, but we have many that are rooted in such a way and have been with us so long that they in no way meet the needs of the majority of the students. Uh, and this has to do with uh, ways we ability group, tracking, and I know those are sometimes some of those words that people don't like to talk about, but it's really important for us to think about in our school systems, are students being given, all students being given the opportunity and then the supports that are needed to move forward in mathematics so that they don't end up in dead end pathways that lead into the lack of career opportunities. I would like to take the time to thank those that have helped bring this conversation together. Magma Math, the future of math is here. Magma Math, the first and only digital math tool that combines handwritten solution technology standards aligned curriculum, and comprehensive data analysis. And now, back to our guest. Let, let's talk about, you, you mentioned, and I really, oh, there are a couple of things I want to dive into, but when you mentioned tracking, I think it's really important because I hear what you're saying, which is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that, look, there are benefits to tracking in this sense, meaning we want to be able to understand the growth, the trajectory that a student has within a given discipline. And so our understanding of how they're doing along a life cycle helps us to better intervene in, in during periods of time that they need additional supports and or prompts and these sorts of things. And without that, we're sort of flying blind. Is that fair, or at least from a parent perspective? Because I think the public sees tracking as it's not equitable, it, that there are there are far-reaching decisions that are made based on tracking. But yet what I hear from you is that, no, there, there are benefits. There are 
you know, the, the tenants of, of tracking are X, Y, and Z. And we need those areas. We need those variables to be sort of present so we can do the best job possible. Is that? No, I, I actually was saying that we should not be tracking. Okay. Uh, we, we need to not be tracking. We need to, we refer to it as we need to detrack. I, detrack. I think, yeah. So we need to detrack because what has happened to many students is because they have been tracked some as early as kindergarten and first grade into um, less rigorous, what many will refer to as low level type tracks, then they never get the opportunity to move out of those. That's one of the things that happens. We also find and research bears this out that later on in middle school and high school, when students are not, when they are tracked into lower uh, classes or classes that are not as rigorous, that they uh, really struggle and they just have a, uh, lose a lot of opportunities. And we find though, that when they are all put in the same classes and that students, all students are given the same kind of rigorous, really high level, high quality instruction, they move forward. And as I was sharing about the research, there's research that shares that often students who are in what are termed some of those low level classes, they don't get the same rigorous instruction. Okay, they don't have the same high expectations. The key, though, is what you were talking about earlier about the, the supports. What's key is that when students are in classes, that they are given the kinds of supports that they need in order to move forward. And this is something teachers have been working on. How do I support, you know, they may have 20 to 30 students in the classroom, and they're not all um, uh, learning at the same rate and in the same way. They have different challenges. They have different misconceptions. And what teachers have been doing is implementing effective teaching practices that will address individual students as well as groups of students that may be having difficulty with a particular concept or they're you know, having difficulty with this particular thing and how to what we call scaffold or support them in order to move forward. And we've been a real proponent of pursuing on grade level content. And that's what our students need. So, okay. So you, you, that was, a, I was just taught a lesson. So that's very good. Cause it is important to understand that the, what we mean by tracking in that regard. So is it then that if we are not, I guess what I'm trying to understand is, and I am, I am with you and appreciate the detracking so that we don't, because you're exactly right. Cause you mentioned expectations, right. right? So how are we, so part of me thinks the one half of me thinks, this is all about understanding the students that are in front of us. Like if we, if you and I were in corporate America, we would want to understand our customer base. Exactly. And if we didn't, well, we, <laughs> there would be a, a, you know, a reckoning because we would probably struggle in selling the products, goods, and services that we are trying to offer uh, that base. But in education, sometimes I think it is fair when we say we don't fully understand or appreciate the very customer or the child in front of us and all the things that make them who they are and how then that might impact their ability to learn. So I do think that is a point well made on your part. Is this a, a discussion about assessment or understanding where a child is that is not linear from a track? If we even think visually about sort of tracking something that is, yeah. we should think more like water or liquid, that it's fluid, right? That it, it moves and it responds to conditions in that regard so that it's never static or stuck in one place. And if we take that up frame or that approach, something akin to that, maybe we have a better understanding of that child within the context of their, their family, their community, that building. Is that a better way to look at it or maybe a more well-rounded way to look at it? I think so. I, I think that's a much better way to look at it because it's not linear. Students, each student brings different experiences, different prior knowledge, different cultural experiences to the learning space, right? They all do. And so the idea is you need to get to know your students, know their strengths, 
know where their, you know, their background, their culture, their identities, and what they bring to the learning experience, and then find ways to build on that. And we have also seen um, that sometimes we think of what students don't know, and we take a deficit perspective instead of an asset base. And students bring with them an incredible amount of learning and knowledge. Um, from their communities, from their families, from their different cultural experiences. It's who they are. They are all very unique, but also wanting all to move forward in learning mathematics. And I think that we need to find ways, and this is what teachers do, they find ways to build on that. <clears throat> and as you said, it's not linear, it's more fluid. Let's talk about data science you, you, and data literacy. Um, I'm wondering if that is a, a I mean, it, it's not a new frontier, but it feels like there's so much more that we can be learning and that we can apply in our daily lives as educators and even as parents to understand what we're looking at, at the end of that journey of that lesson, right? When we look at a grade or we sort of, we review a report card, where are we with regards to data literacy from the mathematics educator perspective? Have we increased our abilities to understand the data that we're seeing in the processes that are taking place in the journey of learning a, a, a principle within mathematics? I think we're, we're making movement forward in this area. As you said, data science itself is not new, but the thinking of it in terms of pre-K through 12 education is a little newer than uh, perhaps we might want to think about. And that's one of the things that I've noticed in the last year is that I've been spending a lot more time thinking about and working with people around data literacy, uh, statistics education, uh, data science. What does it mean for pre-K through two, 12 education? What does it mean for higher ed? What does it mean for future careers? And how do we prepare students? And the other thing that's really been interesting about data science is because it does bring together mathematics, uh, um, statistics, um, and we also think about computing and coding, those kind of things, it brings that in. It also brings in the context. That's another critical piece. So that when you're learning mathematics, statistics, et cetera, it all comes together because it's within a particular context. So you might be pursuing something in data, liter data uh, science around some environmental issue or something in health, or you know, just you name the kind of area that you might be thinking about, but something in biology. But when you're doing that, you need also the contextual part of it and that contextual understanding. So I think one of the things that I'm thinking that for the future is going to happen is we're going to be able to have models of that kind of collaboration that's needed across. It's not just mathematics by itself over here, statistics over here, and we're all siloed, but instead we're working together. And I think that's really powerful. And the other piece of this that was brought to my attention recently was um, we also need to consider the civic responsibility of this. Data science is also inclusive of that and us as in humanity and as human beings in our world today. So I think that we're going to see more and more around data science. And I know at NCTM, we are thinking uh, very deeply about this and how we work collaboratively with others in this space. Well, let's pivot to the pool of, of future math teachers. Um, we see national headlines around the, the teacher shortages. I mm -hmm. recently interviewed some university presidents talking about a demographic cliff coming in 2025, 20, 2026, 20, and just how that might impact universities. Um, when we think about the, the total pool of potential teachers that are out there that are in colleges of higher education, colleges of education, where are we with regards to math educators? Are we looking at 
you know, a deficiency in the numbers that we're seeing that are coming in that want to be math teachers? Sort of what is the state of, of that sector, I guess, of the teaching profession from your perspective? Well, and I think there are a couple of things that impact it. As one is we are wanting more and more students to take more and more mathematics. So we are expanding the need for mathematics teachers, which is important and we certainly need to do that. But along that way, we also need to be supporting teachers uh, that are, are currently in their um, positions to continue the work that they're doing. So that's another aspect of it. So that we don't have teachers leaving the field, we want to support them so that they continue in the field. And because we know experienced teachers um, really bring students along in a way that new, new teachers are learning to do, right? And so they need to get more experience. And so we need both new teachers and we need to experience uh, our experienced teachers as well and support them. But in teacher education, we are, I think that nationally you see the headlines, we have fewer people going into mathematics education and there are efforts of people, um, I know our university is doing that as well as many others, just thinking about how do we recruit people to go into the teaching of mathematics so, because it's so critical and it's so important and it's such a passion to be able to teach students mathematics uh, for the future. And so I think we have a, we need to do even more work around this, but I was given some positive this morning. I met with a group of pre-service teachers this morning and was sharing with them about make mathematical communication and connections and that sort of that kind of thing. And it was refreshing to hear them talk about how important the teaching of mathematics was, how important it was for students to all have access to mathematics and that they were wanting to, you know, explore the strategies to continue for them to, for them to learn, to help their students to learn. So we have people in the pipeline who are very passionate about it, but we need more in the pipeline. And so we need ways of elevating mathematics teacher education and mathematics teachers. And now let's put a bow on this conversation in this regard, and it extends to what you just said, because it does feel like, you know, it, a little, it is a little bit of a marketing, right? Let, letting people know the possibilities, right? Yes. What you can do within this discipline. I, I don't know, just something you said made me think about this, but can you talk a little bit about those expressions, maybe, of mathematics, where we didn't use to, we didn't have this before, right? We didn't have this when I was growing up. It was there was math, and then there was not math. <laughs> it was <laughs> right. It felt like it was an either or kind of proposition. I never thought as a young person how math would apply to given professions. That just wasn't a part of my experience in public education. But now we have coding. We have graphic design. We have just things that are bursting with colors and experiences that are immersive. Is it fair to say? And we and this dates me a little bit. You know, when we talk about and you know politics, people talk about a bridge to nowhere. When we think about coding in mathematics, is it a bridge to somewhere? Like, is it help to define a journey, a path, things like coding and these other elements or experiences or opportunities for people where they say, "My goodness, I didn't realize that my you know my good friend in mathematics is coming with me in this journey, and I can." I can utilize it in a way that is incredibly exciting, just like I might if I picked up a football or a basketball, right, or a musical instrument. Are there elements in our sort of day to day that you find are really, really helping in people's understanding, and that we go back to the very beginning of our conversation in developing a thoughtful and longstanding relationship with the power of math? Um, I think that that's an important, a very exciting way to close out what we're talking about. Mathematics is essential, 
But what we need to do is, is really collaborate around the aspects of mathematics of where it is used so people understand the power behind it. Like you mentioned coding and graphic design and all of those things. All of those work together collaboratively to move our future forward. And I think that that's one of the things that we need to do and communicate better about is how we need to work together. Mathematics is not just something you learn over here, but instead it is something you learn in conjunction with coding, statistics, um, history, civics, you know, humanities, uh, you know, you just go on down the list, sciences. Uh, usually we think of sciences first, but all of the different disciplines. And I think that when we can, as an entire education community, come together to see that, then we will be able to help our students and our future leaders of the world to be able to understand how that mathematics is real in their lives. Well, let's hope, Dr. Wilkerson, that today we've inspired uh, some people to get into mathematics education. I want to make sure that people can find you, um, whether it's at Baylor, uh, because they want to learn more about the program and or about NCTM so they can get more information and either join or find, you know, research and, and materials to help support them uh, in their classrooms. Where should they go? Well, please reach out. You can email me. I have an email address at Baylor. That's Trina underscore Wilkerson at Baylor.edu. And I also have a NCTM one, T Wilkerson at NCTM.org. You can follow me on um, Facebook and Twitter. I do both of those. So please do reach out if you have any questions or you have ideas or you have wonderings uh, that you are thinking about in mathematics education. And if you are thinking about teaching mathematics, reach out. Let's have a discussion. You know, I would love to be able to talk with you about that. Well, you bring a fantastic energy to the discussion in a way that that is refreshing for me personally and as a parent and someone who's worked in education his whole career. So continued success. We want to thank Dr. Trina Wilkerson. She is professor of mathematics education in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction at Baylor University. She's also the president of the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. <laughs>